Welcome to 3 and D, your source for great NBA talk from our spot here in the T Dot. My name is Dave Levitt. That's the D. This week's three. We're almost a quarter way through the NBA season, so I'm going to break down who I like for the MVP, MIP, Rookie of the Year, and Defensive Player of the Year. Second, is COVID protocol hurting the integrity of the season? I do a bit of a deep dive. And finally, at which point do the Raptors make a call on going for the playoffs? Push, push, push. Or focusing on development, not tanking. And I explained my, the nuance there. There is nobody in the co-host chair this week. I decided I needed to go a little solo on this, take a little solace and time for myself. So there we are. It's just you and me. And we break down the big three from around the association. Well, as promised, I am going solo here. So we're going to break down MVP, MIP, Defensive Player of the Year, and Rookie of the Year. Quickly, um, I just want to go over some of the uh, criteria that I used or whatever. Um, when I look at MVP, you know, there's the ongoing debate from guys who are the best players in the league versus the most valuable to their team. Um, I tend to lead toward most valuable to your team just because the best player in the league is almost always <laughs> like we had Jordan for however long he was with the Bulls. We had LeBron for his almost his entire career be the best player in the league or one of the best players in the league. You know, uh, Kobe would have won like four in a row for a while. So to me, most valuable to your team is 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 a factor. When I look at uh, defensive player of the year, I don't look just look at big guys. Uh, I like to look at the who they have to guard or what's their nightly assignment. So without further ado, let's get right down to it. Well, let's just start right, right at the top at MVP, you know. Um, LeBron James is a candidate to me. LeBron James is still a top three, top five player in the league this late into his career. The man is a freak, both athletically, but also the way he takes care of his body. And if you just look at the numbers, like the Lakers have rebuilt their entire rotation. Danny Green, see you later. Uh, Rajon Rondo, bye-bye. You know, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, see you later, see you later. So they go back and they get, and they get Marcus Saul, Montrez Harrell, Upgrades, I think you would. Uh, everyone would pretty much say. Although some Toronto fans are probably at the beginning of the year were probably saying that's no, not an upgrade with Marcus Gasol. Have fun with that. But he is still doing what he does. He's not an offensive player. He's not meant to be an offensive player at this point in his career. His job is to anchor that defense, and he still rotates better than any big man I've seen. Uh, Dennis Schroeder is a slight upgrade on Rajon Rondo. As much as we all love Rondo and playoff Rondo and all that good stuff, he is. Yeah, it's it's to me they are, they're a better team um, than last year, and yet still they rely on LeBron as much as they do. Uh, if you look at all the the advanced numbers, when LeBron's off the floor, even with AD on the floor, they are still not fully the same team. So LeBron is still the catalyst for that team, and he's when you're the catalyst on the best team, you are a candidate for that. Um, a similar reasoning could be for Giannis, but to be honest, I don't think Giannis is having an MVP season. Uh, certainly not uh, comparable to what he had before. And maybe that's good because the the load has lightened a little bit on him over there. Joel Embiid, and if you've listened to this podcast before or heard me talk on, on other shows, 
Uh, I am not a huge Joel Embiid fan. I think Joel Embiid, his effort for the most part up to this point in his career has been spotty. I think he is moody. I think he is just as likely to jack a three or go selfish when he needs to do team play. And yet at the same time, Joel Embiid this season has been a beast and is one of the reasons, I think the big biggest reason why uh, Philly is where they are in the standings. And I really, really have to say uh, kudos to both Embiid for putting in the work and doing the time and for Doc Rivers for starting to tapping into something. So I think Embiid is a dark horse candidate. But those are the two best players on two of the best teams. The next guy, and the guy I actually want to have a real discussion about, is Chris Paul CP3 in Phoenix. Now, it was obvious the whole Chris Paul is a mentor program and his, you know, finishing school of and all these other, you know, titles that are thrown at him. But Chris Paul has unlocked something in DeAndre Ayton. Now, I don't mean that DeAndre Ayton, look, the Phoenix Suns had the number one overall pick in the year that he could have picked Trey Young. <laughs> Or Luka Doncic. I mean, can you imagine those guys and Devin Booker? Like, what is going on with that team? But they chose DeAndre Ayton because they figured they had their wing and they wanted a big man. They needed someone to be able to clean the glass and provide a little bit of an anchor in defense and give us give them something down low. Well, DeAndre Ayton, uh, you know, was suspended uh, last year. Like, it was not looking good. And now... Aiton is rolling to the basket better than he's ever done before. His offensive spacing and, and, and positioning has, is incredible. And now I want to give credit to coaches because I do believe coaches um, like Monty Williams are teachers and, and, and get the players in the right position. But to be fair, I got to give Chris Paul a lot of credit because you can see him out there on the floor coaching. And I don't think that Phoenix, despite all the 8-0 in the bubble, all were excited, blah, blah, blah. I don't think, I really don't think that they were... Um, going to be that great a team and take that big leap without some veteran leadership. Obviously, James Jones, the GM, thinks the same thing because they went out and got Chris Paul and Bob's your uncle. That team is calm. He's the most important part of that team. And again, he's not just there as you know as a grandpa sitting on the bench. He's not even pulling the Vince Carter like I give me ten minutes a night and I'll I'll sit on the the bench and and you know put my arm around young guys, which is an important role. That that veteran role is important. This guy's a veteran role doing that job while also giving you all-star level play. Like he's uh, so to me, Chris Paul is the most valuable person on his team. All right, let's jump to defensive player of the year. As I mentioned before, I'm not a huge defensive player. Has to be a big man. Has to be a center. Gobert, Giannis Antetokounmpo. They're obviously they're just their their athleticism and their size creates defensive problems. And credit where credit is due, you know, those guys do put in the, the work at that end of the floor. But every single night, this is a wing and guard league, and every single night we're asking guys like OG to guard a Kawhi, a Paul George, uh, you know, the list goes on. Uh, LeBron James and Giannis and all those things. And usually that's falling to guys who are um, on the wing and not the, not the biggest players on the floor. So... Everyone's ranting and raving, and rightfully so. Paul George has found something. Ty Lue has helped him find something in, uh, outside of the bubble, and he is playing great ball. I didn't include him in my MVP talk only because I want to see a little bigger sample size for me. But Kawhi Leonard, 
you know, as a two-time Finals MVP, Defensive Player of the Year before, like he is, he's up there. I mean, he he has his accolades, and yet I still think people are sleeping on him as a defensive stopper. He every night he's faced up against the biggest, baddest dude on the other team, and then goes and still drops, you know, almost twenty points a game. That's that's remarkable, and I do think that Kawhi Leonard. You know, has a little bit of the Voldemort. His name shall not be mentioned around Toronto by certain uh, certain people. But you got to give him credit where credit's due. That guy is a beast on the defensive end and gives it to you both ways. And I, Matt Devlin, during the um, during the run, uh, the Raptors run, the local play by play guy for the Raptors, and obviously homers uh, abound in the, in that uh, profession. But he dubbed Kawhi the best two way player in the league. And I think he's right up there. I think he, him, and LeBron, and uh, you know, Giannis are guys who are the best two-way players in the league. And you know, basketball is highlights and everything uh, is one on the uh, offensive end, and the defensive end kind of gets the short shrift. But that's the kind of stuff that matters. That's stuff that kind of uh, finishes games. And uh, defense is if you don't play solid two-way defense, especially against uh, the athletic um, dominant ball-dominant wings that, that are in the NBA, you are in trouble. Uh, hint, hint, Brooklyn, you are in trouble. Okay, so that's two down, two to go. Um, I'm going to do the rookie right now because I don't think it's even a contest. Um, Anthony Edwards has not been uh, a star. In fact, I, I wonder about his commitment, um, to be to be perfectly honest. It's funny because number one draft picks, like we talked about, eight, you either draft on skill and it lights out like number one skill guys. Um, and I mean, you're always drafting on potential. That's the whole point of when you're picking 18, 19, 20 year olds. They, they, you don't know how they're going to turn out. But just as often, number one picks are not picked up based on current skill level, like a LeBron or a Tim Duncan. You go number one overall based on what they think you're going to be. Well, I got to tell you, I don't, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not sold on Anthony Edwards at all. I think. I think that'll end up washing out a little bit. Um, I do think that James Wiseman will be all right. Uh, he's he's putting in some 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 good work and uh, and with Golden State with you know, he's got a good coach and development, so I think he'll be okay. But I don't think either of those guys beat out the number three pick, which is Lamelo Ball. Lamelo Ball has been playing great. He's given uh, Charlotte both a star, which is kind of nice to have, you know, a little razzle dazzle. But also, he is giving them a dimension that they didn't have before. Uh, he cuts to the basket really well. He attacks the basket really well. You know, he's still prone to turnovers, which I think is a little bit um, like people are like, well, LaMelo played against men last year. Yeah, in the Australian League. And I'm not knocking the Australian League. I don't know it. But in the, the Australian League and the NBA are two different things. So when you come in and you play against men in the NBA, it's a different thing, and you can't get away with some of the, the habits that you had before. But we're already seeing that started coming around, and uh, I really do like the rota- the guard rotation they have there now when you have Ball, who can slide up a little bit and play in the two or the three spot if you need him to, um, Rozier, and Devontae Graham. That's a nice, nice pickup. Uh, Gordon Hayward kind of fits there. I think, again, it's an overpay. But he's made Gordon Hayward, Bridges... Um, you know, they're Charlotte's an interesting team, and I think it's a lot. The credit goes to the rook. So, my pick is uh, Lamelo Ball because I don't really think there's any other pick 
available right now. I don't know that another rookie has really stood out in that way. Which brings us to the question of most improved player. And my most improved player is kind of tough because the most improved player is such a subjective thing, much like the MVP, like all this is subjective. But most improved is is interesting because, you know, uh, Bobby Ingram wins it last year. And Bobby Ingram, I think everyone thought Bobby Ingram was going to have a big year when he went to New Orleans, regardless of whether he was with, paired with Zion or not. Um because he was finally going to be a focal point in the offense. And we saw last year his first all-star appearance. But his pedigree was always there. We all thought Bobby Ingram was going to be special. And now he is. Um, so most improved, yeah. But also that depends on situation and timing and availability of things like that. you know. So I've got two candidates. One of them is a homer candidate completely. It's Chris Boucher. I think Chris Boucher has gone from a third center garbage time guy. Now, he's got some credentials, people forget. you know. One, he's not young. Um, he's 28, so he's coming into this, the prime basketball years of of his uh, career. But also, he uh, he's a defensive player and an MVP in the G League. Now, that does not mean anything when you translate to the NBA. But it does mean that he's got some, some, some skill. And I think everyone coming in was like, well... Chris Boucher is the backup center. He's going to have to just step up. But he, Chris Boucher has really stepped up and given the the, the Raptors a, a boost and a, the, given their bench some punch, you know. So now if you've got him on the, off the bench along with Norm and Stanley Johnson, who has turned into a bit more of a defensive uh, stalwart, I think, you know, you're starting to get a bench. Now, do I think it's a championship bench? No. Do I think you win multiple playoff rounds if Chris Boucher is your number one center or your best center option? No. No, I don't. But he has improved tremendously in the in the NBA to the point where he can log significant minutes and you're not really that worried about it. So Chris Boucher is definitely a candidate to me, but my pick is Christian Wood. Christian Wood, again, a bit like Bobby Ingram, we, we all thought he was going to uh, you know, he showed some flashes and he's this is a guy who he can put it all together. Well, Credit to Stephen Silas down in uh, Houston. That situation was terrible. Christian Wood was coming in. As, uh, remember, when they signed Christian Wood, Christian Wood was coming there to be the rim roller, rebounder, probably the at best the fourth option on offense, right? Because you had Russell Westbrook, you had James Harden, you had Eric Gordon, and probably then it was Christian Wood. Well, since then, you now have Victor Oladipo, you have John Wall. <laughs> Eric Gordon's still there. But Christian Wood is le- a legit second option on offense. I would say John Wall is, or, or Old Depot, depending on the possession, are probably the number one option on off- on offense. But Christian Wood is right there. His three-point shooting has continued to grow. His rebounding numbers are up. I honestly, I look at Christian Wood and I'm like, that's that to me is a guy who can be a candidate for most improved player. And he's on a team that was basically having to rebuild itself every week based on whether or not Harden was coming, now he's back, whether his mood is there, whether he wanted to play, then the trade. Like That team has been a hot mess for a while, and Christian Wood has been a steadying part of it. Um, you'll notice I left one big award off, which is Coach of the Year. I don't think you can judge coaches on 20 games. Uh, I think it's too early. Maybe at the halfway point, uh, we'll take another look in about 20 games, and we'll take a look, and uh, we can throw in and see where my picks are. And also, uh, <laughs> we'll see about Coach of the Year, see who's, who's winning there. 
All right, let's move on to our second topic of the day, which is the COVID protocols and the integrity of the game. The question asked was, are COVID protocols interfering with the integrity of the game? So let me go to another league. And uh, if anybody's listened to the show before, they know I'm a, I'm a football fan. Earlier this year, the Denver Broncos quarterback room fell apart. They had a positive case. They had contact tracing, and it wiped out all four quarterbacks, three quarterbacks in the on the on the active roster, and the guy in the uh, on the uh, practice squad. <laughs> so you go and you have four four uh, quarterbacks out, and they don't cancel the game. Meanwhile, Baltimore had one of their quarterbacks. Now it's the starts, Lamar Jackson, MVP of the league. He goes and they move the game twice, twice. They still had enough guys at every position. So the argument is, that, yeah, they had they had similar number of COVID cases or COVID contact tracing cases, but they didn't wipe in an entire position. They could have gone with their backup. They should have probably gone with their backup and played the game against Pittsburgh, but that game just kept moving and moving and moving. And the the effect was the Saints versus the Broncos game wasn't even close. Um, a lot of people called it a disgrace to the league, an embarrassment, and the fact that, you know, you had a, a third-string wide receiver having to come in and play quarterback because he once played two games at quarterback in his you know freshman year of college in Division Two. That's not the NFL. Um, meanwhile, Pittsburgh, who was the Pittsburgh uh, game for Baltimore, was pushed twice, and ultimately Pittsburgh ended up losing, and it kind of unraveled their season. It kind of de- derailed their whole season. Now. If you ask the Steelers or Steelers fans, they might say that. If you ask uh, other people, they're like, well, you just got to deal with it. It's you know, 2020, 2021. We're in pandemic times. Which leads me back to the NBA. The NFL could move games. They play one, one game a week. So if you have to bump it to a Tuesday or you know move move things around, plus they have a, what they call a buy. You know, they do a 16-week schedule over 17 weeks. So if they have to move things around, it's not a big deal. And for the most part, it worked out well for the NBA, for the NFL. The NBA doesn't have that. They've released the first half of their schedule. They've gone out and they've created all these protocols. And they've postponed games. The other day, they just postponed, um, I guess it was Memphis, three games, right? Bang, bang, bang. They said, no, all three of these games are postponed. And we're racking up uh, didn't games not played like... Uh, <laughs> like certain players in the NBA rack up uh, DNPs, right? So uh, I was going to add a name there, and I just I, I bailed on it. But um, when you look at the COVID protocols, and, and you know, these games are going to be played in the second half, but when? The, the season was already stretched out a month longer than it, than it usually is, and they're trying to get back on the 21-22 on the regular schedule. But if you keep delaying games, it means you're going to keep pushing things back in the playoffs, which means you're going to further impact next year's schedule, which means you're further going to put wear and tear on, on the bodies. Already some some people were really upset that they went, you know, they ended in October and were back playing in December. They didn't have a full rest for their for their bodies. And having teams to travel all over just like a normal year, which is what's happening, it's a lot. Also, ask speaking of travel, by having guys travel but then have to re- – stay in a hotel and require them to not move and leave the hotel or, you know, curfews and all that. That's really hard. George Hill said, uh, you know, the 
COVID protocols were if these are so stringent, then why are we still playing? I don't fully agree with that. I think you have to keep playing because that's their business, and if your business is able to operate, because that 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 takes money out of players' uh, bank accounts, it's the owners and the and their fallibility. Like you have to you have to do something to get that TV money to keep your league going. It's just the way you know the way it is. It's cold and it's and everything, but. I mean, there's one debate you can have: what should they be playing or not? Um, but if you're going to play, then you got to play by COVID protocols. But I'm wondering if requiring teams to play if they have eight players versus a healthier team or a team that may have like one guy out, does that ruin the integrity like the Denver Broncos? And to me, yeah, I think it's a little hard to say. Like the Raptors beat Dallas. The other night, and I was, you know, and I was like, oh, that's a good, you know, on paper, you look at it and go, okay, they beat a quality team. Although Dallas this year has kind of been up and down, but they built a quality, they beat a quality team. But then you realize they had, they didn't have like three of their top eight. You know, <laughs> did, did you really beat Dallas or did you beat, you know, half of Dallas? You know, and there's no such thing as half wins or anything like that, but you know, you got to consider that. Lastly, I want to talk a little bit about. Um, the handshake rule or whatever they're calling it now. And, you know, I can only imagine, you know, John Attilia, the Raptors security guy. And if you're a Raptors uh, fan, you'll know John Attilia. He's the big, burly security guy who's usually right over uh, Nick's Nick Nurse's shoulder. But the NBA now no, no longer wants players to high-five uh, during warm-ups or after the game. They don't want them shaking hands and hugging and whatnot, which is weird. Because you're going to ask guys to play 48 minutes of basketball where they're sweating on each other, they're banging into each other, they're breathing each other. Yeah, that's fine. The ball is whipping around and touching everyone's hands while they're sweaty and they, you know, all, all of it. But somehow a high five or a handshake at the end of the game to show that you respect the other, your opponent, somehow that's, that's going to spread COVID. I know they're trying to say that like unnecessary contact, but come on, you're already in the arena. They've already tested. They've already just spent 48 minutes doing it. The handshake at the end of the game means nothing. It's no different than, than when they were, you know, running into each other on the court. So I think that's just dumb. And the idea now is that they're going to have, they saw too many players, you know, breaking that rule rightfully so. Cause it doesn't make any sense. Um, that they're not going to have NBA security line up. So again, having John Attilia and his team line up at the half court line to not allow players to go and, you know, show respect to their opponent just doesn't make any sense. And I don't think it keeps anybody any safer at all. Um, I just don't, I just don't get it. All right. Last topic of the show. And, uh, thanks again for listening. We're going to talk a little bit about going the development route for the for the Raptors. So the Raptors are renowned for their ability to develop players. Weirdly, Matt Thomas uh, has not been uh, given that same latitude just yet. Yeah, you know it's a long season. We we may need him. We may still see him. Um, and next week we're going to talk a little bit about more about the bench and the usage of the bench. But for now, I want to talk about the development and whether when it's time to sort of say, all right, we're going to focus a little bit more on developing guys, building that bench out, getting things going, or do we just continue to push, push, push? Uh, I've said many times, including on the most recent episode of NBA Excel, which you can find on NBA TV, or if you go to their YouTube channel, it should be posted soon. I said it in the uh, 
uh, there. I've said it here before. I don't want to ever hear tanking. I don't want to ever just, you, you play to win games. That's what you do. However, you can, there's a way to do that while also trying to develop guys. I know it seems a little counterintuitive. You always want to play to win and you always want to do your best, but does Malachi Flynn have to get a little, a little bit more time in regular rotation minutes just because, you know, you need to, you need to do that. You need to get him some minutes. You need to get, develop him. You, do you go and you give guys like Matt Thomas a little, just a little bit more rope so they can get out there and work, th- work it out? Because, you know, now Matt Thomas is a little different. He played overseas for a little bit, guys like that. So I'm just wondering what that point is. And to me, the next, you know, you're about, you're about uh, 15 games in, 16 games in, which, uh, you know, and we're six and nine. Uh, this is, I record this on Sunday. They're about to play the Pacers, uh, early this afternoon. And I gotta say, like, if you're six and 10, 16 games in, and you repeat that, and then you're 12 and 20, if you have the exact same, same in the next 16, don't you have to kind of look at development model? Don't you have to kind of look at guys who are, you know, uh, having to learn, having to grow? I think so. I think you have to do it. And releasing Alex Len was an interesting move because I think uh, a lot of people got excited. Do you bring in a guy? Do you bring in a guy? I don't think you're in a rush to do it because you're not playing 15 guys anyway. And you've got guys like Paul Watson Jr. who haven't gotten any real significant time, uh, even though he's on a two-way. They're com- it looks like they're converting Utah Watanabe from a uh, two-way to a one, uh, one-way one contract. So you're still probably going to be full, but you can always, I don't know. There's calls to go and go get Rondé and Hollis Jefferson. We'll talk a little bit about that more next week. But uh, I think if, you, if, you're, if you're 12 and 20, you have to genuinely and definitely look at development time. I think you just need to. I think it's one of those things where, you know, you there's not a lot of tradable pieces on this team, realistically, that you're going to want it. Hold on. Let me go back up. There are tradable pieces, but are you going to want to give them up? And I don't think you do at this point. This team is its a down year. I think it's a rebuilt uh, you know, team, and you're going to have to do that. But you have some pieces. You have like a Norm Powell. I still think Terrence Davis, you know, as an add-on piece, it, it gives you value. It's value. Add. I don't think on his own he's a, he gets you much, but I think if you give like a Norm Powell and a Terrence Davis, that gives you value add because Davis is proven to be a, a decent rotation piece. Uh, I don't think you're giving up your biggest assets, which are the, your your young three of uh, Freddie, Pascal, and OG. But Kyle Lowry, that discussion has to happen. And I am not Kyle Lowry. You know, I said last week that I, I was like, I could see him on the Pacers as a good fit there for a team that could drive that forward. And I, and I genuinely believe that. But I don't think you have that discussion without having that discussion first with Kyle and saying, what do you want to do? What's what's your plan? Uh, you are welcome to be here all, for the rest of your career. You have earned it. You are that guy to us. And there's something in the maturation of a, of a franchise when you actually get guys like that, when you get icons like that, you know, um, multiple time all-star, champion, best player on your team, you kind of earn that respect and you earn that. Like my, the biggest comp is someone like Dirk who got one championship, multiple um, 
great playoff performances, multiple-time All-Star, that kind of thing. To me, he's he's the equivalent of a Dirk Nowitzki. He's not at the Magic Johnson icon level, but you know, franchises at various times have to have one guy, right? And I think Kyle's our guy. But if Kyle wants to go, you got to and you're 12 and 20. I think you start exploring those moves. And again, it's not a tank job. It's retooling and realizing that this isn't your year. The piston misfired or whatever, and you're you're going to rebuild the engine for next time. Um, as it stands, you know you're already relying on Fred more and more to sort of take that leadership role in the locker room as well as on the floor. Uh, and this team is built for a superstar, uh, whether it's a ready-made superstar a la Kawhi, like we swapped out before, or you know a Bradley Beal in a trade or whatever it is. But it might actually have to come through the draft. And if you go low and you're in the top, if you're if you're lottery picking in the top five or six, I think you're going to be fine this year. I think you are going to find someone. And it doesn't have to just be Cade Cunningham. Um, later in the year, when we have a bit more sample size from the college basketball season, I think we'll take a, a deep dive into where the Raptors are sitting and draft prospects and things like that. I love I love potential and I love coaching. Um, and development, so that's you know something that's near and dear to my heart, and we'll definitely bring to the show. But I just think that at some point you have to be realistic about what your expectations are, not for the season, because I think you always expect and hope to get, and you fight and you claw and you get to the playoffs. But we have to be realistic about what's what's real. Are you a top four team? Doesn't look like it. Are you a top six team, which guarantees you a spot in the playoffs? I think you have a shot at it if you can turn around and keep going, and maybe we start in the next twenty games. You're if you're ten and ten in the next twenty games, which puts you at uh, sixteen and nineteen. I think you're a realistic shot at the playoffs, and I, and I still think you're probably in a decent position to grab that sixth seed. Remember, the NBA now has the seventh and eighth seed. Seven hosts ten, eight hosts nine. The 9 and 10 team have to win two games. The Either one of the 7th or 8th teams has to win one, and they get to continue with their spot for that play-in tournament. So if that's going to happen, and if you're looking at going, okay, well, we have a realistic shot at the play-in tournament, then you keep going. But I think if, you have, if you're playing for the play-in tournament, you also have to hedge a little bit and get your younger guys developed as well because you don't, you're obviously you're going to be making bigger changes in the offseason. So that's my take. I think uh, the Raptors have to, the next 10 games will show a lot. The next 20 games will determine the entire season. Thank you so much, and uh, hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Well, that's the show. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I would say thank you to my co-host, but of course I didn't have one this week. So I will say thank you to you, the listener, for uh, listening, sharing, liking, following us um, wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify is a great spot for that. If you like the show, like we said, please share, follow. Uh, you can hit me up on Instagram as well at dlevitt, D-L-E-A-V-I-T-T. Uh, on Instagram, yeah, you can send me a message, post uh, comments on uh, the topics of the show that I post every week on on the gram. So go ahead and like us there. And as always, stay safe, stay home. And we'll talk to you again in seven days. <laughs>